Hi, everybody. Welcome to Ask the Amigos. And this is where Aaron and I answer all of Discord's burning questions. So, Aaron, we're going to kick things off right off the bat with a question from the slow Norris. He says, hey, Boat, I've often seen you with a bass guitar hanging around. Uh, as a guitarist who doesn't play much anymore, I've recently gotten into bass myself. What's your history with bass guitar and who are your favorite bassists? Uh, my history with the bass guitar is also pretty short. Um, I've always had a bass guitar hanging around. I have an old K bass from the, the late 50s um, that I, I got as a gift. But I never really played it because it was so hard to play. The action was super high and the, the pickups never worked right. Um, but when I became a band director uh, and I started doing more stuff with the jazz band, you know, jazz bassists don't exactly pop out of the walls in middle school student, uh, in student life. So I, I ended up playing bass a lot for them. And um, I uh, and of course the Patreon band uh, has inspired me to play a lot more bass. So I, I would say I, I'm a relatively new bassist, but uh, I really I it really gives you appreciation for the the, the musicians. Uh, some of my favorite bassists, uh, probably Chris Squire is probably my favorite bassist because of not only his his technique and the, the way that he his bassline the way that his basslines work, but also his ability to sing harmony and, and, and play at the same time is super impressive. Um, Carol Kay is a huge influence on me. Uh, Noel Redding, of course. I mean, he's, he's probably, uh, you know, the, the ultimate, but, uh, out of all of them, I really respect in this, maybe this is sort of a cop-out answer, but Paul McCartney, his bass lines are so melodic. Uh, the, I mean, you don't expect bass lines from a group like the Beatles, even the early Beatles stuff. Some of those bass lines are surprisingly cool and you don't really notice it. I'll tell you what, what happened was when I started playing Beatles rock band. Um, and that was when I first started hearing those bass lines and I was like, man, Paul is not only a tremendous, you know, songwriter, but he, he really wrote melodically for the bass. And I, I, I much prefer that style of bass playing versus the sort of like slap funk bass and all that sort of thing. So anyway, that's all the bass talk that there is. Aaron, you want to add anything there? Yeah. Nick said it. Getty Lee. He's one of my faves. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, I'm one of these guys that, like, I know what band's bass I like, but it's not like I can call out the dude's name. Like, I like right. the dude from Black Sabbath. Was that Geezer that played bass? I can't remember his name. He was awesome. Oh, that sounds yeah. Uh, I, I like, uh, what's his name, Bootsy Collins. That the, uh, the, the, was this funky, I like that funky, yeah. I know you just bad-mouthed it, but I like that super funky, slapping, wackadoo, yeah, I mean, 70s. It. It's just not my favorite. I just, I yeah. dig it. I love that because it's a part of it's just because uh, I just like that kind of tunage. I'll tell right. you, the uh, the dude that plays bass for the uh, freaking uh, The Cure, that guy's a, I like that guy's bass well, line, His name man. is Simon, Simon Leg. Yeah. No, that's a guy that I know in real life. I don't know Simon's last name, but his first name is definitely Simon. He's the only person that's been in The Cure besides Robert Smith since the beginning. Listen. Somebody I, in chat. The, the Cure have some awesome, like, bass licks. And yeah. Uh, they're yeah, not like absolutely. it's not like Speed Demony, but it's just like it fits the songs. That literally makes their sound uh, if, if you're a big Cure guy. So there you yeah, go. I, I agree with you. That's a good call there. Dave Velociraptor asks, turn-based strategy or real-time strategy? I would go with real-time. I don't like either, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I would say, like, for example, we played Populous 2 a couple weeks ago, you know? I was kind of digging that boat. Uh, uh, now it's a lot more, it's tougher for dummy to get into those games cause they're harder, but I'm down. I'm down with that. I think that's the one I would go for. What about you? I go back and forth. Um, 
Sometimes I like, I would say real, I would say turn-based is probably my preference because the problem with real-time strategy games is that you run into a, an instance where your reaction time literally determines how good you are. And uh, with a thinking game, like I can get by pretty well in like the campaign for StarCraft, but there, there reaches a point where it just gets to be too hard and I can't do it because I physically can't move the mouse fast enough. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you want to be a competitive a real-time strategy player, you got to have APM out the yin yang. So, um, I, I, I'll probably go, uh, you know, the more board game, turn-based style strategy. But just like you, strategy games are not my forte. Barkbit asks, "Is there a game you've bought or would buy just because the box is cool, although the game is crap?" Uh, yes. Uh, you could pick the Psygnosis game of your choice. Uh, in there, they, they 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 I love the look. I like when a company goes out and captures a look for their line. You know, Activision did it right. Atari did it. Psycho and Psygnosis did it. And Psygnosis is the ultimate cool guy gaming company. You know, they got yeah. the cool font. They got pictures designed by some kind of dude that writes that does album covers. You know the Roger names yeah. are cool guy. They got Beast and Kill and and this and that. And you're like, oh yeah, that's the kind of stuff I like. The game is irrelevant. Plus they throw right. in a bunch of crap. So that's one. And another one I would go after. And I mean any of those uh, is some of the old Infocom games. Don't really want to play them, but the art was cool. The box was stuffed full of cool crap. You know, so I well, would put yeah, both I, those I on the list. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the the Infocom was definitely the king of the feelies, but if you think about like the box art for the Zork games, not it's not like a Zork. Black... Those aren't the ones yeah. I'm talking about. More like the uh, what was their detective game? I always thought that had a really cool box art. Some of their games even had like different shapes. I thought mm-hmm. they did a good job because you had yeah. to go bananas to get make those appealing. Right, and I would say on the whole, PC box art kills console box art because they you know in the, in the PC world they were doing everything they could. To prevent people from pirating games, and so they really went all out on box art. Like, think about the box art for Transarctica, which I guess yeah. was it, it, that that art originally had nothing to do with the game. They just thought, "Hey, that's a cool picture. Let's use it for our game." That's how you do uh, it. Yeah, I'm with you with Psygnosis. I mean, I've got this this game behind me right now, Cytron. I have no idea what this game is. It, it, the chances are it's probably not great, Doesn't but matter. the art is freaking amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and and the thing is, they knew some companies knew how to do it. You gotta give Atari the ancient Atari games. They had that awesome, that awesome art that you've got in that book. You know that that, that incredible art. It's on the cartridge, and you're like, you look at this. Another one, and uh, this is slightly off topic, but it's a little is the is the way that the Odyssey 2's cartridges look. They're black. Yeah. They're sleek. Yeah. The art's sort of simplistic, but it's coming out at you. There's action involved. There's striking colors amongst that black background. It works. It works. It makes you want to collect them all, and it makes you want mm-hmm. to play them, and that's what I like about them. But there yeah. are so many great pieces of art that are part of box art. I'll be looking through games all the time and just see awesome box art and never have heard of the game. You know, So, I mean, it doesn't always mean you're going to make a lot of money, but it's nice to see that they went the extra mile uh, on that. Another company that did uh, was real big about that, uh, if you've ever played uh, 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 Cosmic Arc or those games, was, I, I yeah, was, uh, Magic. Yeah, yeah, Magic. They they actually would make models and stuff up, and they were expensive to make yeah. these 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 covers. And so I appreciate that sort of effort. Yeah, I can't add anything to your answer because I agree with 100 percent of what you're saying. So I want to roll we'll tonight, boat. Okay, 
so Super Famiking has posted this uh, video, and um, and his question is, uh, he lists a lot of different accents, like Liverpudlian, Cockney, Glasgowian, Brummy, etc. He says that uh, accents across the British Isles are varied and strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he asks, how difficult is it for a native West Virginian to uh, understand broad accents from the UK? It's very so, difficult if you're not us. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the, for your average West Virginian, they would be in deep trouble because I've sat there and seen it. I've tried to show people shows and stuff, and they've got no idea what's going on. And I will admit, uh, I've been watching a lot. A, a lot of it is based on like if you watch a lot of stuff for the BBC, right, or right. spend any time there. I, you know, I yeah. haven't, but yeah. I mean, uh, and you're right. And, and by the way, accents in the states are just as I mean, they're the West Virginia accents were the most difficult to uh, to understand for other people in the United States. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've went to places so country that it's hard as heck to know what they're talking about. And, and yeah. if you go down, as you go further south, the accent radically changes mm-hmm. into another sort of country accent. But all that said, your average person would have a rough time, and even someone like me and Boat, and I'm sure you've ran into this, Boat, when you get a real cottoning up accent or maybe like someone that mixes in a lot of Welsh type stuff, it's real tough to figure out what, what the hell What I about. find is that when people... Or like this happened to be in Ireland a lot, where it's like I'd be talking to Earl or somebody, and when they're talking to me, I could understand everything they were saying. But then they'd turn and they'd talk to one of their fellow countrymen, and it would be like they'd shift into another language because, like, <laughs> I mean, like it, I honestly, like sometimes I would be like, I have no idea what they're saying. So that didn't happen in England so much. Um, I, you know, I I went to school in 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 you know South Yorkshire or wherever wherever Sheffield is, and that that's supposedly sort of like the south of England in terms of like the broad accents and all this stuff. And aside from some of the slang, uh, I never had a hard time understanding. I always thought it always tickled me when Oasis was big here. They'd always put subtitles, you know, whenever they would interview them on MTV or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I always found them to be pretty easy to understand. You know, I'll tell you an accent that's tough to, to comprehend. And it was Edmund and his brother last Saturday night. Now, yeah, that was I, that. That was alcohol induced. I that can was, usually tell natural. what they're saying, but about <laughs> about two and a half hours into the team speaker regulars, it was it shifted off the rails. I had no idea. I I just nodded my head and gave them the thumbs up. I had no idea yeah. what they were talking about. <laughs> Brutal Barracuda asks, "What is the one game you first played as an adult, but wish you owned and grew up with as a child?" Oh, you better take that one. I went to ponder that one for a minute, Boat. Oh, boy. Probably Elite. Um, you know, I feel like as a kid, I could have sunk a lot of time into a game like Elite because I love, like, trading simulations and stuff like that and being part of a world, you know, like a world that really felt alive and a world that you had complete freedom to do whatever you wanted to do. Uh, as a kid, I was never exposed to any game like Elite before, and I wish that I had been. I played everything as a kid because I was I was lucky enough to be there from pretty much the beginning. Okay, so I'm going to sort of change the question to suit my thoughts on it, and and that would be uh, everyone now is very very much into these real uh, uh, deep first person shooters. Sometimes they're squad based, or sometimes they're you know, and that's a, that is something that as a as a kid, of course, the first time we saw that was with your, I mean, in big time. Was with your Wolfenstein 3D and your Doom, and, that's, and then we were interested in it, but I never really stuck with that sort of game. And now I don't have that much interest in it, and it's huge. And I sort of want to be interested in it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So I kind of yeah. wish that I had. I mean, I'm not saying that I. I you kind of, you kind of wish you'd gotten the bug early. That's right. Saying. Like when those games came out, like when Doom came out, 
We liked Doom. It was awesome. But then when other games came out, right, we were like, oh, look, this is just another Doom. We had that sort of mentality, my, me and my buddies, and so we didn't get into it that much. And ultimately, they weren't just another Doom. They improved on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, 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 and, and things changed. It got more interesting, but we, I kind of missed the boat on that. Yeah. So, man, what are you going to do? But yeah, that would be my answer. Okay. Graham has three questions for us. All he right. says, the question, first question, he says, after I briefly showed War of the Worlds book on ICC, can you think of any other books that deserve the same refresh? This is right up your alley, Boat. You're going to have to remind me, Aaron, because I was I, I, my my memory from that event is somewhat hazy um, due to um, things. <laughs> well, he had a War of the War book. I don't remember ex- the. I remember going off on it just because I like uh, I like the. Uh, was it uh, just like a re like a? Uh, it was just like really. Oh, I remember this now. It was just a. It was a reprint that was done with really good binding and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it right? was fan- super fancy. Yeah, super fancy. Okay, so yeah, what is what are some of your favorite books, Aaron? That you'd love to see like a really well bound like presentation quality volume of? You know, I don't. It's one of those things. I, I I'm an old school paperback guy. Don't care. So I'm just gonna pick a a, a book that I just really loved, uh, because I would like to see uh, the uh, the the fancy slant. With a modern edge, and that would be Neuromancer. I'd like to see him go in there and mess with that, make it look mm-hmm. really awesome. Okay, yeah, I, I, it's, it's funny. As you know, uh, I have a couple hobbies, and for and, and one of my hobbies in the past has been to collect really expensive versions of books, whether they come from Heritage Press or whether they come from the Folio Society, uh, Golden Cockerel, etc. And uh, and. For a long time, I would refuse to read books unless they were like they came in the editions that I approved of. You were a book snob. I was a book snob, and then one day I realized that that was just monumentally stupid. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get this paperback and I'm going to read the heck out of it. And it was this this trade paperback I got for a dollar at the at the uh, at the Taylor Books down there in Charleston. And I was like, "What have I been doing with my life? Where I'm, I'm, I'm confining my reading material to like these couple publishers, and just because like I like the feel of the page or whatever." And and the problem is too is that when you want to read a book, sometimes you want to take it on vacation with you. Sometimes you want to throw it in a backpack. Sometimes you want to give it away. Sometimes you like it so much you want to give it to somebody. Well, if you pay eighty or ninety dollars for a book those decisions become much more difficult. And I got to the point where it's like I'd buy a Folio Society book, pay $80 for it, and then I'd turn around and I'd buy the Kindle edition for another 15 just to have something to read on the road. And so anyway, I'm glad that I've put those days behind me. Now I'm a proud reader of, you know, like I seek out like the beat up tatty paperbacks, especially like old penguins from the 70s. Like, they have some really awesome art, and the pages are starting to fall apart and stuff like that. So, But anyway, I'm leaving Graham's question behind. You know, most of my favorite books have already been put out as fine editions. Um, so it, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, if I could be in control of putting out say like oh you know what i'd like to see maybe some of those old worlds of power novels you know what i'm talking about aaron Mm -mm. so these were sold all over the scholastic book fair in the late 80s and early 90s these were novelizations of nintendo games there was like a metal gear novel 
a Blaster Master novel. I'd like to see a compendium of those novels uh, bound up into some, you know, some presentation quality binding with gilt edges and sewn, you know, goat skin cover and stuff like that. I'm going to go with that. You know, I'm going to change my vote, by the way, and I'll tell you why. When me and the boy, part of our Saturday tradition is to after karate, after jujitsu, we go down to the drive-in and get some lunch, and we listen. We always listen to a old-time radio show, and we mm-hmm. listened to one today, uh, and it was uh, uh, it was a Ray Bradbury uh, story at, mm-hmm. that they had done, and it reminded me how much I used. To, I loved Ray Bradbury. I used to le- read his stuff all the time. I know. <laughs> Ray Bradbury's so old school that a lot of people don't pick up on his stuff because they think it's kind of cliched sounding. But the problem is he's the one that originally did it and that caused the cliches in a lot yeah. of instances. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so I, I love the Martian Chronicles. I know the movie sucks, and he disowned it. In fact, he, he has a story where he walked out in his own premiere. I'll never forget that. <laughs> uh, but uh, And he, he, could be, he could be a little temperamental, but most of your big authors were... Uh, but I would love to see. Uh, I would love to have a real fancy uh, bound set of the Martian Chronicles from him. I, I've always been a big fan. And I will say, this is the first story my kid had ever heard from him, and it really struck a nerve with him. So it was oh, nice cool. to see someone that I really liked, like uh, strike a chord with my kid. So I, I, I'm going to go there. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, here's Graham's second question. He says, my children seem more trusting of facts on YouTube than Wikipedia, which is dangerous. Other than more engagement as children don't seem to read much anymore, can you think of other strategies Wikipedia and similar reference sites can do to change this? You're a parent, Aaron. What do you think? I doubt my kid's ever been to Wikipedia, and he goes on YouTube all the time. So that question is probably right. I trust you, I never thought about it. Uh, and he know he learns a lot about stuff from YouTube, which is uh, given that people like ourselves are on YouTube, it does disturb me to a certain degree. <laughs> what can be done? Well, you know, really, what's the big thing? Restricting your kid, paying attention to what they watch. I can go back and look at everything Luke watches. I sort of can monitor what he's doing, and most of the crap he watches is. Other dumb kids playing games or Pokemon stuff or stuff about games he likes. So I haven't seen anything that really. I thought to myself, "Oh my God, he's getting he's getting the wrong information about World War One or something." Because kids don't generally care about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I I think this is probably not an issue. I mean, it depends on what they're looking up. If he was looking up historical based stuff, and I wasn't familiar with who was putting it out, because we know there's a different slant on everything on YouTube, and even Wiki for that matter. I mean, it's not something you could hang your hat on all the time. Uh, so all you got to do, man, just it's the same old story. It never changed. You got to be a vigilant parent that's interacting with their with their kid a lot. Uh, if you don't pay attention, uh, things can. G- Get in their heads and uh, and cause trouble. I mean, it, yeah. I'm not King Dong of parents' boat, as you know. I'm doing the best I can, so I'm not the guy to ask for parental advice. But I, I, one thing I can say, I think, is stand out. Just uh, be a part of your kid's life. You know. Yeah. All right. Question three. I've noticed that skills like glass blowing and black, blacksmith work are becoming rare and fading away. Yeah. Are there any localized skills in West Virginia following a similar trend? So let's uh, let's answer this. And he says, and on the flip side, he sees an increased interest in uh, interest in woodworking skills. Yeah. Um, so I'll take this one first, and you can agree or disagree, Aaron. All right. But in my view, stuff like crap like glass blowing and blacksmith work 
are sort of having a renaissance right now in West Virginia. There's all, if you go to any number of, uh, of summertime fairs, fun fairs, the, the crap over at the Valley Park every year, Pumpkin Festival, you're going to see a whole, a whole convoy of blacksmiths that roll up yeah. that, that are they're going to be showing off their wares. Same yeah. thing with glass blowing, all that kind of thing. Now, we live in an area of the country that's very rural, and people are move out here from other areas because they want to live this sort of life. You know, yeah. they want to come back to the come back to nature. They want to learn a trade like blacksmithing or glass blowing. So, even though they may be dying out in other parts of the country, um, I think in certain areas like the area that we live in, those, those where they're they're kind of having a renaissance right now. You know, my boss is a blacksmith, and you're right. He's got a whole horde of blacksmith buddies. They have little little gatherings and stuff mm-hmm. and and he's a good hand too uh so I, I i agree with you i think now listen we are in we we talk about western y'all all the time in the bad way but this is one of the times where it's a good thing you're right yeah we have uh we have a world-renowned uh glass uh manufacturer you know uh, of of glass art just right uh, 10 miles away 10 from minutes both. from our house yeah. yeah and not even 10 miles yeah you're right five miles away uh we've got uh uh can we have all sorts of local events where people come and and do their do their blacksmithing and this and so uh, that stuff is not dying here. It probably is dying everywhere else, frankly. Mm-hmm. Because one of the yeah. one of the good things about being kind of backwards is that people kind of hold on to that old stuff. They take it. It's a little more sacred when your dad did it. Same yeah. reason, like you've got plenty of people over here picking the you know fiddle and a, a banjo. It's because these they, they grew up with their daddy and their daddy's daddy. And, you know they they all played that stuff. Get on the Vandalia Festival, and you're going to see glass blowers. You're going to see fiddle players and candle makers and fabric mm-hmm. makers and everything because that's what they did to live out in the sticks, out in the hills, right. you know. Right. In, in my opinion, the dying arts in this area, and this is going to sound something, stuff like it's probably going to end up being stuff like coal mining. Uh, it's probably going to be something that, and that is, a, I mean, there is a, that is a profession that requires, uh, a deep learning finesse and 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 mm-hmm. and intelligence to do it's not something you just go down you don't just get a lummox to go in there but that sort of industry's dying i think in this area the dying industries are what's what you're going to lose as opposed to the art you're right we get a lot of we get a uh west virginia has a in uh, uh, uh we have a lot of artists coming in as opposed to leaving so we're actually that's one of the few areas where we're ahead of the curve boat is i agree artisans you know including yeah. art like painting photography uh, musicians we've yeah. got that and it that's one of the best things for living around here is there's all kinds of great festivals and stuff and you're never without good music or good food or people that have a lot of skills in, in these and woodworking and whatnot that's right. That's right. All right. Lobsterminator asks, if you had to choose a single regular meal you would eat for the rest of your life without any variation, what would it be? Pizza. Pizza's tempting. Pizza's tempting. I would probably go for something that had... a. Um, I would go for probably something that it would be more like... I would... Boy... It's tough. It's tough. Pizza's uh, pizza's pizza's such a good answer. Yep. Because, because you can have I, all the different stuff on it. Plus, if you want to, you can just rake all the stuff off of it. And you got bread. You rip the right. pizza off. You got bread sticks. You mm-hmm. know, if you want some pasta, you could sort of simulate it. You know, you could. You know, so I, that's yeah. That that yeah. That, that's easy. a good choice. If I if I had to leave pizza, I would say maybe something like bibimbap, 
which is a Korean, uh, it's a Korean dish that has rice, vegetables, a fried egg, and spicy paste on the top, just because there is a, a ton of variation on that as well. Now, what if it was, what if, what if you couldn't change it? Like, what if it had to be pepperoni pizza? Would that change your answer, Aaron? No, did you say bibimbap? Did I get that yeah, right? Yeah, bibimbap. That's that, right. You that sounds it. like a, a Korean boy band to me. <gasps> That's what I would name my band, bibimbap. No, it pizza boat pizza. Because what other meal? I mean, I I I could say rice, right, or noodles, right. But I mean, one would if you had all the accoutrement that you would want to put on the noodles, that'd be great. But if you just eat noodles or rice, right. you, yeah, that's you gotta have suck. toppings. You know, yeah. you gotta have something. I, I, I agree with you that pizza is the ultimate answer yeah. because, like you said, you can get whatever toppings you want on it. So. In all honesty, eating something from now until the end of time, I don't care what it is. It could be the be- it could be anything, lady fingers or pizza or spaghetti. You're gonna be so sick of it in like a week. Right, <laughs> you're gonna be boned. So yeah. Plus, uh, maybe maybe after you've had six years of pizza, you could also roll up the dough and use it to choke yourself to death and end all this misery. <laughs> all right, uh, let's see. Ricky DeRocher asks, "When is the Amigos 3.11 show coming out? When are we going to start a podcast all about Windows games?" Aaron, did you were you there when I did the uh, 3.11 stream a couple weeks Listen, ago? Listen, I'm the one that requested ski free. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. I, I, Having having played Barbie on the old Windows, uh, Windows 3.1 has the goofiest, most out-there collection of weirdness I've ever seen assembled on one system. So I don't see a podcast in it, Boat. I don't see a 3.11 podcast coming anytime soon. It's I I had one night of 3.11, and I was, I was satiated, my friend. All right. This next question comes from me, Aaron. What is the deal with the whole too sweet thing? Too sweet. Yeah. What? 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 what that, why do people do that? Well, I can only speak for the wrestling thing. It's a wrestling yeah. thing. Well, it comes from wrestling. That's why I asked you. Like, do they do that? They do that outside of wrestling, like at the school or something. Yeah. You saw it. Like You're kidding kids me. Too sweet each other all the time. No kidding. Well. Yeah. Originally, uh, there was an outfit called the NWO, and they would do that. And I remember end, them. They, they were on end, Thunder. What's that? They were on Thunder. That well, they were on Nitro and Thunder, WCW. And it was Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, and a cast of thousands. And they would end their all their promos with the phrase "because we're too sweet." And they'd give each other, they touch each other's uh, right. thumb right. and like, their fingers I, it's together. Like fingers, if you're familiar with soul. And so it became real stupid and cliche and dopey. And so an outfit called the Elite, led by the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, picked it up as sort of their. Uh, it was almost a mocking of the original because it was just so dopey. And these guys were a bunch of dopey goofballs. And so they've gotten popular. And so I guess kids have picked it up. I didn't realize it was to get that was being done in schools again. But so, yeah, it's really, so it doesn't Bullet mean Club anything. Like, Bullet Club is like, the, they're the WWF new spokes, spokespeople. Well, the Bullet Club, by the way, uh, All Black Lives Matter in the chat, he's uh, clearly, this is a guy who knows a little bit about New Japan Pro Wrestling among other things. Bullet Club was the uh, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega. It's been a cast of thousands. But yeah, that's where it started. And, if, and effectively, I, as I recall, the WWE told them, sent them a cease and desist on doing the two sweet. So the, they, WWE, so the, the, the Bullet Club is not part of the WWE. Well, no, no. At the time, they were in New Japan. And really, the Bullet Club sort of, it still exists in New Japan, but it's a whole different cast of guys. The the guts of the Bullet Club are now on AEW, and the, which are Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and they and and the Good Brothers, and they still do it. 
even though they're not supposed to. So yeah, it's just their dumb wrestling thing. You know, just like any other dumb wrestling thing. It'll it'll come and go, but it's just a kind of a hokey thing. Okay. Uh, Duncan Styles asks, if you could write a t- script for a TV show or a movie, what would it be? Oh, it would be a uh, hmm. I'd like to write one of those coming of age films that that draws upon the stuff that I saw and or did in in high school and and early. <laughs> so it'd be college. like Stand by Me, but based on your life. Oh, it'd be much more disgusting than that. It would be much stupider than that. <laughs> Stand by Me, I really kind of like that film. I actually, yeah, I it was, it's a great movie. I'm talking more of like a. Um, I'm less stand by me and more porkies. I guess would be where I would be going with my. What about you? Uh, I'd really like to write a sci. I'd write. I'd like to write a like to write a sci-fi show like Firefly. Oh yeah, like I think it would be cool. <laughs> like the whole concept of Firefly, of course, is not unique to Firefly, where you have like this roving band of miscreants that runs around the galaxy doing good deeds, you know, and fighting the bad guy of the week. Um, I'd like to be on the staff of a, a new Star Trek series. I think that would be cool. Sci-fi and fantasy stuff, I just feel like the people that are doing it don't understand why people like to watch those kinds of shows. And I feel like it's not like I'm a great writer or I'd be able to do anything positive, but I just like to be there and be able to put in my two cents and people respect my opinion. You know, you know, I love I love the Firefly, as you know. I love yeah. that show. And it had endless potential. Like I said, the, the rogues in space, the heart of gold, mm-hmm. that type thing. Right, right. I think sci-fi lost its way a long time ago. And it still continues to wander like a zombie through the night. Just kind of, <laughs> If you watch any of the newest Star Trek uh, uh, shows, some of this other stuff, it's, I, I, I haven't liked any of it. I have not liked end or what Doctor, what's going to come of Doctor Who. They've forgotten mm-hmm. what got them to the dance. you know. And maybe it's a sign of the times, Boat. Because, much like we were talking about Bradbury earlier, if you look at what Ray Bradbury wrote, and you read it now, you're like, look at this crap. Look at this cliched crap. Well, there was a there was a purity to it and, a, and an innocence to it, because when it, when it was written, he was the first one that did it. it. Sci-fi has been done and done and done and done, and so everyone has to put a new spin on it and try a new angle, you know, or make it more extreme or whatever. It's hard to capture what made sci-fi brilliant. In the early days of your Star Treks and that sort of thing, uh, and it would take—it's going to take someone uh, uh, with a lot of uh, a lot of cleverness and a lot of uh, good ideas to bring it back. And that's one of the things I liked about Firefly. They took that concept and they did something fresh with it. You had. A Let me ask you another question. Yeah. This is just, this just popped in my head. But why is it that horror is the only genre that ever gets anthology series? Well, that's not true. <laughs> so, because if you if you ever watch Black Mirror, for example, but I mean that is or, or I mean, Love and Robots or 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 Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits. These weren't horror; these were sci-fi. But these, I mean, these are all I okay, maybe horror, but it's sort of like creepy, like unsettling themes. What about Alfred Hitchcock Presents, uh, for example? Uh, or or tales of the unexpected, but those, those are all were, old shows. Well, I mean, but you're saying that they ever got these things? Tales of the unexpected was. There's all never over been the a map. comedy anthology series, is what I'm saying. There's never been a fantasy anthology. What about series? Love American Style? That was a comedy anthology series. What about Love Boat or Fancy Island? There were elements of comedy in those. You know, they'd have Don Knotts on there occasionally. You know, those. And I mean, I guess you can't. You can really. You sort of can call. Those and anth- I mean, well, I mean, if you're going to call love, they're enclosed, but they're enclosed episodes. 
I mean, you're right. Okay, but I mean, you're. What would you What would you like to see? A comedy anthology show where every week something funny happens? No, but I, I would like to see like I think a fantasy anthology show would be cool where it's like every week you get like a little thirty minutes of like some wacky alien world where people breathe through their toenails. You You did see that in magazines. Okay, I, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll refer you to Heavy Metal, for example. Mm-hmm. That really, that was their bread and butter. If you go, and I don't mean the film, although it's a good watch. You're, uh, let me tell you something. I'll tell you a fantasy anthology. I'm all on board, except for there's one big problem. You've got to come up with a weekly. There's two problems. You got to come up with a weekly fantasy script that's not crap, not easy mm-hmm. to do, as you know. And secondly, you've got to pony up the cash to make that show. Uh, unlike horror, where you can just kind of put some blood on it and, it, and you're good to go, right. or or a crime show or something like Tales of the Unexpected, a fantasy show is going to be involving fantastic creatures, that sort of thing, mm. and it's going to cost some bucks. That's it, why, you know, I feel like something like Jim Henson's Creature Shop. You know, remember, Jim yes. Henson did that. Uh, he actually did an anthology series. I, I can't believe I didn't think about this until now. It was called, like, The Storyteller. Do you remember that? I did. And he, uh, he, he they did several. Well, I mean, he was also involved with the whole Spielberg thing. Listen, The Storyteller didn't last that long. Right. And uh, I, if, I think the reason why is because of what you talked about. Yeah. It was very expensive to Just produce. look at something like yeah. Amazing Stories, which I, was a, a real hit-and-miss anthology show, if you remember that, from the Spielbergs. I don't remember that. It was, oh, well, I mean, it was... It was a primetime show on NBC for uh, quite a while, but it was expensive, mm-hmm. and the stories were a mixed bag. It's hard to come up with that stuff every week, you know. And so, in the age of streaming services, where you can come up with a whole series of shows and not do another one for a couple years, now's the, now is the time to do that. Uh, but uh, uh, but uh, you know, it's not easy. Science fiction is a lot easier, and horror is a lot easier. And there have been plenty of great anthology shows in that area. Fantasy, you're right. It's untapped, I think, for, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. All right. Coming up next is, uh, let's see here. Uh, Lord Soup has a question for me. He says, John, you have no love for first-person block-move dungeon crawlers such as Eye of the Beholder and Dungeon Master. No kidding. Do you, think they, do you think they can be saved in your site if upgraded or modified in some way? How would you make a game in that style that doesn't leave you cold? It's a great question, Soup. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the, the the reason why I dislike these games. There are really two big reasons. One, when I play a video game, I want to play a game. I want to be in a world that I actually want to exist in and explore. Okay? So if you think about a, a game like Skyrim, you know, that's a whole world to explore, and it's awesome. Or if you if you play a game like Super Mario Brothers, that's another world to explore. When you play a game like Dungeon Master, you're in a dark, dank dungeon. Um, and that's no place that I want to hang out in. Um, that, and, and to be honest with you, that's, that's a big part of the video. The, if I dislike or like a video game, is the setting of the game itself. It's okay? not always now, you like can, that, though. I mean, Dungeon Crawl... Listen, I'm an old D&D let, guy. Uh, let, me, let me finish. All right. So... That's one that's one thing. And the the other thing is the sheer repetitive nature of those games and that you're always just, you know, you're you're trying you're mapping it out and you're you're fighting bad guys and you're collecting things to keep you alive. Um th- that's that's good for part of a game, but I need another part of the game where you emerge from the dungeon 
and you go to another area, like for example, when you're role playing, you know, you either start or you finish a lot of role playing experiences in a tavern or in a town where you're mixing it up with the locals, and then you delve into the dungeon. So if you're going to save that kind of game for me, what you need to have is some sort of intermission, some sort of breathing period, some sort of Rivendell where you can escape sort of you know, the, the high-intensity action of the dungeon where you can go outside, breathe the fresh air, see the sunshine, and interact with other people. Um, if I may, just hop in for a moment. You're not, go, man. I'm not going to disagree it. with you. And, and we all have our own tastes, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And those games have not aged well. All right, we, we could agree with that. There are certain aspects that we've come to expect as gamers that they don't have, most of them. I think one of the big shortcomings, and we've got some people in the chat have mentioned a couple of games that had, uh, you know, outside say and whatnot. Listen, I'm an old school D and D player. You know that boat. Mm-hmm. I, I look at to my right here. There's a shelf full of old school Dungeons and Dragons modules. Okay, and one of the things I liked about Dungeons and Dragons was the varied uh, areas you go. It's not all dungeons, despite the name. You know, and even when you're in dungeons, it's not just the gloomy uh, crap you're talking about. And, and really, you're right. In gaming, that's what's mostly portrayed, okay? And I think I'm going to go with the fact that the games we're playing are old, and they were limited in their ability to make these palettes and, and make these various images. But mm-hmm. in proper D&D, you go into places that are made of crystal or glorious caverns that are a, thou- a thousand foot high with waterfalls right. or, or places that shimmer with... a. a a, a, a fluorescent fungi that that uh, uh, you know emanate from the walls or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or you're, if you play something like uh, White Plume Mountain, you come into an area where there are uh, there uh, it's a reverse pyramid with with various creatures behind glass that you have to go through all I mean, all these varied atmospheres that make it, the game better. Listen, you can't. There's one thing that one of the reasons I never liked role playing games on the PC is because you can't you can't successfully emulate a live-action role-playing uh, event on a computer. You just can't do it. Even when you're playing with your buddies over like uh, over over like a video chat, you can't do it. There's there's a an intangible quality to being there with your friends and having someone un- unfurl the stuff in front of you. It makes it awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. But I I would wager that today they could make a really good like Eye of the Beholder style game. Uh, with a lot more varied at, uh, varied environments than they did back in the day, maybe that would appeal to you more. Yeah, and, and that's that's part of the reason that made that game that we played, uh, Black Dawn Rebirth, so disappointing, was that you know here's a chance for that genre to sort of redeem itself in my eyes personally. And all you get's the same old crap. You get the same tile set for the walls and everything. I think that was more of a tribute, though. You know, and, you got to look at it like uh, a tribute. And it's fine but... because some people love that stuff. That's but for right. Me, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's just it's it's not there, and, it, and you're exactly right. Like, yeah. it, I would have no problem with dungeon crawlers if you did have those varied environments, but yeah. but you don't. And I and I fully concede that for the people that love those games, they love getting into it with the graph paper. You know, that, have, that's part have of the, I ever that's ran D and D for you, Boat? What's that? Have you ever played one of my D and D games? Uh, I don't know that we've ever run a D&D module. We've done lots of other stuff. But I would D&D love to get probably. you in a one. I've got a couple here in mind. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd like. To I'd get, love it, man. Because D&D Anytime is one of these games that really it opens you up and, and it makes your mind expand. To, and it, it's, it's so much fun 
to be around a table with your friends playing a game like that. It, again, it can't be replicated on a computer. Now, what we'll to, we'll to put that on the list after the COVID's gone, Boat. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Da Crabs MTG asks, which DCI show is your favorite, and why is it SCV 1974? So, this will we'll talk a little bit about drum corps. So, drum corps is like competitive marching band to the extreme, and um, and in uh, drum corps is uh, is a big part of my my youth. I was a big fan. Uh, SCV 1974, Santa Clara Vanguard 1974, probably the peak. Uh, it, it's a great, a great show that was back. Aaron, you're, you're old, but you're not quite so old that in marching band, they still marched with everything, including the percussion equipment. When you were in marching band, they still had the pit on the side of the field, right? Where the marimba was and all that stuff. We didn't but have if, much in the pit, uh, at the right. time. In but fact, if you go back to the seventies, back when it was technically against the rules to have anything at the side of the field, you had people marching timpani. They'd strap those things to their back. You had somebody no, in we a had little those. cage. We had the. We had somebody in a cage with the chimes that would march around that, like that. When we used chimes, I, I'm trying to think what was on that sideline. It was very little. Yeah. But yeah. we had timpanis that marched, complete with the big harness. The whole like mm-hmm. you're like you're going to plow mm-hmm. a field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying. Really, the only thing I could think of that they'd set on the sidelines, you'd have your, of course, you'd have your field conductor and the little right. staircase, or whatever they were working on. And usually, you would have that uh, uh, the the chime thing. It was a big mm-hmm. rack of like it was, right. you know, of those. I I don't you know. I, when I left, they upped their game on the sideline. They have a bass guitar over there, a bunch mm-hmm. of crap. And by the way, I hated it. Hated yeah. it. I hated that. Bass guitar is no good. Well, no, band. I love bass guitar, but I didn't see not in marching. That's band. when they had the guy dressed up like Elvis. I remember going to one of the home football games. And I was like, "What the hell is this? This is crap!" <laughs> you know, they wouldn't let us do this crap, and plus they stopped marching. Like we never stopped. Like we never stopped. We had well, to do shapes to continuously. I can tell you that, that that you are you are perfectly at home with everybody that's ever been in a marching band before. In which the time that they were in the marching band was the best, and every time after that was crap. I, listen, I'm not. Everybody say, believes that since the beginning of time. I'm not going to say that we were. I don't. I don't even what when he said DCI. I thought that was like a DC Universe video thing. I had no idea what you're talking about. So, <laughs> uh, but listen, uh, proofs in the pudding. We we brought home the the big money, pal. I don't have to I don't have to say we're the best. That's in the trophy case back in the pad, brother. We won it all. We were the king dongs of of the band. Now of that year, our our it's just like anything else. Is Michael Jordan better than Will Chamberlain? I don't know. Is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan? I don't know. It's hard to compare them. All I'm saying is we're in the conversation. That's all I'm saying. Blue Train asks. Uh, and this is Hat Chad, by the way, just in case you were not aware. I didn't know He's that. Just, yeah. <laughs> okay. I never knew that. Yeah. Blue Train is Hat Chad. Okay. Um, do you really hate the Patreon song? Or is your reaction like one might find in the squared circle, i.e. overly dramatic and fake? No, I do hate it. In fact, I remember when you, I was funny. I've been going back to doing research for the 300th episode. What, what are we on now? What We just did 295. So five, not too far down the line, and I, I was looking back, and I found the first ever. And of course, then you, t- I hate you sometimes, because I told Bo, I was like, "Look, I did this research, and I found the first Patreon song, and I found the first time you did this." And Bo sent me a list. Who was it? Pixels or somebody had done that had every Patreon song from every episode. I can't believe someone's documenting that. That's astounding to me. But all that said, I went back and listened to the very first one, and even back then, I was like, "What is this?" 
What are you doing? And I remember I asked him after the show, what the hell was that? And then he did it again, like about six shows later. I'm like, what is this? And then you started making it a weekly thing. I'm like, no, no, no. But it, I will say, often imitated, you know, a lot of people started implementing weird Patreon crap. And you had no plan. You had no, did you have a plan for this? You didn't know what you were doing. You were just screwing around, right? Yeah, I've never had a plan for anything I've ever done related <laughs> to this show. So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's Rube what we asks, are you Team Kong or Team Godzilla? Oh, man, that's a tough choice, Boat. What are you? Who, who do you like more, Kong or Godzilla? Oh, I'm 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 100% Kong. Really? Kong is kind of like Frankenstein. You know, innocent, misunderstood. I'm going to go, you know, listen. I'm an old Mr. Science Theater fan, as you know. And I've got to go with Godzilla. Because, really? Yeah. Godzilla's done a lot of hilarious stuff. He's boxed. <laughs> he's danced. You know? He's done a bunch he of He is fun- wacky. Like, I'll you don't see that. Kong doesn't pop up in the, in the old Japanese movies that much, but Godzilla's on all of them, you know? Godzilla and Mothra and Gamera and all these guys. And Godzilla is amusing, and his powers are also goofy. You know, he can he slide on his tail? Sure, sometimes. Can he fly? Okay, why not? Does he box? Does he dance when he boxes? Yes, he does all that stuff. He's a big, weird lizard. He breathes, what, electricity? Fire? It depends mm-hmm. on what you know what you're watching. You might be winning me over here. You Kong be, is just a big monkey. Can Kong climb stuff? Yeah. Does he like bananas? Probably. Does he like hot chicks? Who doesn't? Right? But Godzilla does all kinds of crazy stuff. That's why I like him. Yeah. Okay, okay. What do you think about that King Kong movie that came out a couple years ago? I didn't see the it. The one that the one I think it was M. Night Shyamalan. It was no, some famous director. he didn't do it. I know him. I, I, now, there's a new one out right now. That no, I, no, this is the one that was before then. I never saw that one. I saw the hideous, horrible Godzilla reboot. You know, but then that was yeah, that was the worst. They've done a Godzilla movie recently life. that was supposed to be pretty good, and then this new one I heard was okay. You know, I don't know a modern take on a monster movie. When you've watched as much old Godzilla movies as I have, it's hard for me to get excited about a modern one. It just seems yeah. you know, it's like let's go out and make the finest technologically superior model T we can. Well why would we do that? Right. Because that's what takes the fun out of, of it. Product of post-war uh, atomic anxiety. Right. We went crazy. I went. I Peter like Jackson. It. Peter I, Jackson. That's who I'm thinking of. I like. Oh, I didn't see that. I like it when Godzilla stomp as a guy in a suit stomping on an obviously fake town while explosions go. That's what I like. That's what I want. I don't want a realistic version of Godzilla because that's stupid. I like the fake one. That's just me. That's just me. Duncan Styles asks. Which Amiga game would you like to see made into a successful Hollywood blockbuster? I'm thinking Alien Breed, as I would love to hear that tune over the opening credits in a cinema. Not that one. No. <laughs> and you don't like it either that much. Alien Breed's yeah, overrated to the max. So what do you... What do you what, does, does anything spring to mind for Tons. you? Because, I mean, Transartica would be a good one, but it's already been done. I mean, when you think about, you know, all of the Amiga games, as we all know, are, you know... Don't watch it. Watch it. Go ahead. (laughs) Don't bury it. Okay, I'm controlling myself. Um, I'm going to go with Chaos Engine, because post-apocalyptic settings are popular right now. Good choice. You've You've already got the characters. You've got the gentleman... You got the the what's his name the protractor, um, the farmer, the miscreant, whatever their categories are. You've got Preacher. them all. 
Yeah, the ranger. You just made all those uh, up. You don't know any of the characters in that game. Yeah. But anyway... That's a good like, choice, if, though, despite your stupidity. I think. Yeah. Here's another one. Um, any of the CinemaWare games. Like, Wings. Think about, like, all the World War well, I Well, Wings is sort of based on a film. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. I mean... What's it based on? I think the film was called Wings, actually. It was oh, like a silent okay. film. Maybe not that one, then. Yeah. Aaron, if you were going to cast Lionheart, who would you cast as the lead? There's who only one guy that could pull it off, and that's me. I would mm. be the lead in Lionheart. I saw I that. I see that. I, I, I want to give Olaf a shout-out because an excellent choice. That's not the one I was thinking of, but that's an excellent choice. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing, like, I, you know, I know you hated it. I know you hated it. But I think Walker would be fun to see, like, as a film. That would be kind of cool. Big, I like the fact that there's a huge robot. And I like what, the fact what that... Would the, what would the story be? Well, he, remember, he went through time, all right? right? And something else I like is the fact that, like, well, you're the would good... Would Walker be anthropomorphic? Is that a word? Would he would he walk and talk on his own accord? No, would he no, have a no, little no. walker no, mouth? No, no, he wouldn't. No, he's just the, the main guy. Because if you think about it, okay, so Walker was the good guy, right? You're playing Walker, but you're mowing down suckers with like wagons and crap. You know, yeah. so I'd like to see how they pulled that off. How'd they make this guy? How did they make this guy good guys? He mows down guys in wagons and horses. So that would I be. I would say Walker's probably the heel. In that's the what I movie. would say too. That's yeah. exactly what I would say. What uh, if Walker? What if Walker met Walker? The that would be Walker? well. He would probably assume he would cut him in half with the, with his guns, which would be okay. Yeah. But I, I like Chuck Norris. I'm not gonna badmouth the guy, but I, I, I like it. Walker, and of course. Uh, uh, it came from the desert, but it's already been made. It's already been done. So we can't. Right. We can't. We can't say that one. Uh, I'm trying to think what. Uh, there are a few like uh, um, Killing Game Show. I kind of like that game, but of course Isn't that's that sort the same of already as the Running Man. Been, it's sort of already been done, sort of kinda, you know. So, but yeah. What I'm, about if they made, have they ever remade the Three Stooges? Yeah, it was great. It had Will Sasso in it a couple. Years. It was really good. Surprisingly okay. so good. So they've already something. done that. I went into that movie expected to kill it, to kill it, and I actually enjoyed it. So get out of here. Get out of here, Graham. <laughs> My God. All right. So here we go. This is comes to us from Frodo NL. He says, which modern, which is from the last 20 years, game would you like to see an Amiga version of? So this would be a modern game released on the PC or one of the consoles. That's right. what we're talking about. But you'd like to see an Amiga version of? You have a thought on that, of? Boat? Um, probably one of the phone games that have taken over the these days. Phone game. Um, yeah, something like Crossy Road, I think, would be really cool on the Amiga. The Amiga could do really well. Um, I don't know what that is. What is that? Crossy Road. It's like an endless Frogger that's in an isometric 3D. Um, you know, pretty much any game that is arcade action uh, would would do pretty well on the Amiga. Any game. That, you know, on the role-playing side of things or whatever, I just think wouldn't work. But uh, I think, yeah, I'm going to go with Crossy Road. I think that would be great on the Amiga. Hmm. That's pretty good. Um, you know, as I, I badmouth you, uh, I'm trying to think what I would think would be... You know, I'm playing this game a lot on my phone called Retro Bowl. We covered it on ARG one time. It's this football game, but all the controls are sort of like Angry Bird-style controls. Mm -hmm. And I think the Amiga mouse could kind of pull it off. You know? Yeah. And so I'm going to go with that. That'd be kind of fun. Listen, you could take, you know, the most casual of casual games, the games that Chud plays all the time on, on his tablet. You could take one of those on the Amiga. It would be a million seller. You think? Even yeah. today? It would... 
Yeah. Are there a million Amigas on the Earth Amiga, right now? You know, the Amiga crowd is always looking for new stuff. And uh, and those games, obviously, they're well-designed. You just take down all the paywall stuff. Do you ever wish that you could, like, program a game? Every day of my life. Really? Because yeah. wouldn't it be neat to, you know, the guy, you ever listen to a retro, uh, no, not retro asylum, retro roundup. It's uh, the guys this over there. Mike show? That's right. Well, Mike's off of it now. But it's, uh, it's mm. Subaru Brat and... Uh, a uh, uh, UK Mike and some other guys. Anyway, dinosaur pie. Uh, bef- when, no, yeah, that guy's on there. But anyway, bef- before SoCal left, they did a game. It, w- it was like the retro roundup game, right? It was, mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, "Wow, that's wacky." They made a game based on the show. And if so there, I thought, if we, if you were going to make a game based on Amigos, what would it be? It would have to be like a singing game because mm. okay, you, you've played Rock Band, right? Every yep. time in Rock Band that you sing out of tune, you like get you get penalized, right? In the Amigos version, every time you sing out of tune, that's when you get the points. Anytime you're in tune, <laughs> that's when you lose the points. That's the game. How many points do you get when you put on a Jeff Lynn wig? Do you get all the points? That's when you get it. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> that's the end. That's how you beat the game. That's right. So there you go. So yeah, that would be fun. But no, I, 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 I don't know what I said. Keep going. Chris Folds asks, Chris Folds, he says, with the exception of Rare, the development studio, Rare, mm-hmm. under the guidance of Nintendo, I can't think of any Euro-developed platformers in the 80s and 90s that are worth playing. Why do you think that is? Well, that's a lot. Okay. Hold well, on now. Okay. I don't know about that. You want me to answer first? Because... That's not right, for starters. Chris, Chris expects me to side with him, but I'm going to disagree. Oh! Good for you, Boat. Listen, there's games, there's platformers that are worth playing. Number one on the list is the freaking Adams Family. That is a console-quality platformer bar bar excellent. Move away from the consoles. You were expecting me to say the Adams Family, but I'm going to go on. Yeah, I was. Okay? Yeah. Um, I think Lionheart is a a fine... It's not for me, okay? Because I think the levels are too long, and it's too hard because I'm a weenie. But I think Lionheart is definitely worth playing. I think it's definitely worth playing. Mm-hmm. What I'll are some other ones here? Let me tell you something. Listen, in the Delphine games, your uh, uh, those games are gold. Plus, you've got your uh, uh, Prince of Persia is a great game. That one can't be understated. How great that one is. Listen, eighties and nineties. My God, we've every we've done tons of games that are, are have uh, merit to them. I mean, well, okay, if you're going to go 80s and 90s, because he doesn't even talk about if they're on the Amiga or not, like all the Rayman games, those are all French games. So you're talking those about any Euro game on any console or system? He just says 80s Holy and Holy cow, 90s what about like Mario, for God's sakes? Or, or, I mean, I mean if, you, if, you, if you could pick any game, you could pick any of those games. But listen, listen we, no one kills platformers on the Amiga more than us. Yeah, we kill the hell out of these platforms. We like we enjoy driving the knife into to, to these yeah. super frog and whatnot. But there were plenty of good ones, uh, uh, and and I think that's a little tough. That's a little tough on those games. Rough, but. rough and tumble, also another great platform. What was the game uh, with the where you paid the two guys with the boot with the with the fifties hairdos? Naughty ones. Not, no, not not well, naughty oh, ones was Yo good Joe. too. Yo you Joe, Yo Joe a lot more than I did. Yo but. Joe was fun. I like that two player action. You know. There, that was a good game. Even Brian the Lion was kind of fun. We yeah, Brian, done yeah, that. yeah. So, yeah, you know? there, there's definitely... There's games worth playing. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that the good platformers on the consoles are so good and so much better than everything else 
people tend to forget that there were like 80% or 90% or even 95% of the platformers on consoles were also crap. It's just that everybody remembers the Marios. Everybody right. remembers the DuckTales. Right, 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 right. And, you know, as you look at game at platformers now, it's 2021, okay? If you go back and you're like, well, look at these Amiga platforms compared to, the, say, the Super NES. What a ripoff. Well, I mean... That's not the way the that's not the way the play field laid out back in the day. You know, it's hard to compare the two. There were good stuff. I mean, can the Amiga hold a, a candle to the Super Nintendo when it comes to platforms? Hell no. You know, but it's not like everything was garbage. It was just different right. stuff. You know, even right. if you go back to something uh, to like Jumpman and stuff, is Jumpman a quality platformer? Hell yeah, it is. Is Minor Twenty Forty Nine a quality platformer? Hell yeah, it is. Is that game Brent picked for the Atari a couple weeks ago? That that uh, Minor Twenty Forty Nine ripoff is that a, is that a good game? Hell yeah, is Mr. Manic Robot, Miner Robot a good Patrick. game? You got yeah. that right. There's plenty of good ones. So I don't I disavow that. I don't agree with it. Yeah, yeah, and it also depends on what kind of platformer you're after. Platformer is such a broad term. Like Jumpman is a platformer. But it almost is it's almost a different genre than a game like Super Mario Brothers. So it's correct. It, yeah, right. it depends on what you're after. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Our final question of Ask the Amigos this month is about the Sex Pistols. Okay. Are the Sex Pistols Legends of Punk or just a racket? Who who asked this? Uh that that would be Jonah. That's a good question. Because first, let's as as performers, they were a mis, a mixed bag. <clears throat> um, uh, Johnny Rotten sucked. All right, I, I, I think we could uh, we could all agree with that. Uh, but as a punk band, they were the they were the punkiest of the punk bands, weren't they? I mean, they were really they sort of were right there causing trouble. What what do you think? Both. I mean, you can be both. You know. Um, you can be you can be a racket and yeah. you can be playing playing a role and you can also be musically relevant. I mean, pop music it, it, pop music itself is half image and half substance. I mean, look at the Beatles, look at anybody you want. You know, they've got a look, they've got a way about them, and then they've also got the music. The, the Sex Pistols came along at just the right time. They had just the right attitude, you know, the devil may care attitude, and they had some catchy tunes. So yeah, and I, it's absolutely. funny. I like I like Johnny's stuff with PAL a lot more than the Sex. I mean, listen, I mean Sid Vicious was absolutely dreadful. Okay, we can agree on that as a musician, as a, as a person, just a yeah. piece of garbage. But I mean, when you're the premier punk band, it's always good to have a bunch of choir boys in the band. You got a bunch of hacks. Liquored up, drugged up goofballs, you know. Uh, Lydon is a guy, and I was sad to see that he utterly sold out as he got older. Uh, but uh, I, he did, I mean, and you can say what you want about his ability to quote-unquote sing, okay? Uh, and by the way, this predates both of us, because even I wasn't, I mean, I was alive, but it's not like I was, I was, I had my finger on the pulse of the punk scene <laughs> in the late 70s. I was like eight, you know. Right. Uh, and, and really, the punk scene didn't even hit here until years later. I mean, it was the punk scene in America didn't. I mean, it didn't really t catch on. It was probably I'm going to say seven years. I mean, there was. I mean, in terms of what it was like a a bigger movement. There's going to be a lower level to it, but I mean, I would say the mid '80s is when the punk scene took off in the states. All right, mm. you know, and, and that's my opinion because I had friends in it. So that's mm -hmm. there you go. 
Uh, Who was but, in it? Was Theo in it? No, no, no. But I had friends that were into punks, and 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 you know, I hated like I hated punk bands. I I liked actual bands, but punk as punk as a as a a, a, a performance as it was was it was not what I would call good sounding music, but it was what it was. It wasn't supposed to be. Uh, it was more of a movement, right? It was more of a state of mind than it was a uh, something you would put out there and, and expect to go up the charts, right? Uh, and the Sex Pistols, if you look at it in that in that way, they were the perfect punk band. Their music, in quotes, was generally regarded as crap, but their their attitudes, the way they operated, the way they were perceived, they were perfect for that for that sort of movement that ended up being what punk was. Yeah, and when they sort of fizzled out, and I know in the UK they were way ahead of us in the whole punk thing, uh, and like I said in America we were kind of way behind. We were playing catch up on that, but it did have an impact, and it brought that sort of it. it we we went from the punk scene to sort of that new wave scene that was Blondie and uh, Flock of Seagulls and that kind of stuff, and it transitioned over to. And it's funny how that went from uh, at some point someone had enough of that and they kind of went to the back to rock. And so there was a transition from sort of that new wave back into rock that dominated the middle part of the 80s that ended up going to the grunge sound, you know. But there's, it is a transitional stage. It's very strange that, that uh, I mean, you can see the transition from punk to new wave. It's hard to see the transition from new wave to rock because I don't think there was one. I think between new wave and disco, rock fans from the 70s and 60s got sick of that music and just took back over. And effectively, mm-hmm. and it sort of burned itself out. Am I, am I talking out my butt here? But what do you think about it? Well, I mean, there there was a punk scene in the seventies for sure in in localized areas. There was it wasn't a, a nationwide. It wasn't a movement thing. though. So I'm saying right. it was a local. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like if you look, like people are talking about in the chat, like the New York Dolls, right, and in clubs like CBGBs yeah, and or, stuff like that. Yeah, but it Iggy wasn't Pop, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, MTV was not playing the punk videos until later on, for sure. Of course, MTV wasn't even around the, the late 70s. And really, so. That stuff always got played at, like off hours and stuff. They weren't mm-hmm. playing the... De- like, uh, Graham mentions the Dead Kennedys. My buddies were all big fans of the Dead Kennedys. They loved Jello Biafra. And, and uh, I, I listened to all the Dead Kennedy albums, all of Jello's solo stuff, his spoken word album. How many people can say that they heard that? I heard the whole darn album, you know? Because my buddies were all into it. But, I mean, by the time that stuff was... The Dead Kennedys were kind of at the tail end of it, at, at their apex. But it went away. Uh, and I'm not sure straight America even knows what punk the punk movement was. I mean, do well, you think Well, here's they the do? thing. Like, coming at it from a generation beyond you, there was a resurgence in punk music in the mid-'90s, and it yeah. all started with, with Green Day. Like, Green Day was, like, the punk music that was acceptable for the masses. And like that, when that they were a massive success, and there were tons of other punk bands. And you can, of course, the whole thing about punk is like, how punk are you? And it's it's sort of stupid because it becomes like this litmus test of like, how much urine have you emanated on your audience? You know, that's that's how much you know that's how punk you are. So, but that like, I don't know. I feel like what was a local scene didn't become national until MTV. But before MTV, nothing was really a national scene except for the, you know, what was on pop radio and punk music by its very nature would be, you know, not acceptable for any kind of pop radio. So it would be difficult for any kind of punk movement to gain notoriety 
until it gained acceptance at least through the MTV crowd. I will say this, and by the way, I lived when I lived in Huntington. I lived two doors down from a punk bar. I mean, and so when you talk about urinating on the crowd, I, I was around when Gigi Allen came to town. If you're a punk guy, you know who Gigi Allen is. Uh, well, and yeah, he, or just a fan of like ridiculous performance filth. art. Filth, but. Yeah, uh, and, and I, my views on the whole punk thing are skewed because I knew people that were in it, right? But let's face facts: your average person in West Virginia, for example, or probably anywhere, unless you're like a New York or LA, something, you're, the punk movement probably could have came and went. You never knew it even was there. Exactly. Exactly. You know? I mean, it could have totally come and gone because it made no impact on a, on a national on the national scene during the '80s. You know, like I'm sure you've seen that movie, Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Where uh, you know it, it, it oh, just goes yeah. around like this Judas Priest. It, it's a great film. If you haven't seen that, everybody that's watching Ask the Amigos right now, after we're done, watch Heavy Metal Parking Lot on YouTube. But it's like that was sort of like the edgy music. Like if you were into stuff that like made your parents uncomfortable, it would be heavy metal. It wouldn't be punk. Right. If you think about uh, and, uh, what you said about Green Day, you're right. That that they because that. But I mean, if you think about Green Day. Uh, and the stuff that got popular, it was as far away from punk as you could go. I mean, really, I mean, prop, well, punk that I knew. it really wasn't. Musically, it was very similar to any kind of, like, Sex no, Pistols it or was me, No, it was way better. Those guys were talented. They could actually sing and play their instruments. I mean, most, <laughs> listen, I was at, Jay, Corrosion Conformity played down in uh, Nitro one time, right? You ever seen them live? I know they have a I don't name. Even know who that is. Well, I'm not they, a huge punk guy. Listen. So. I know, okay. Some people know who they are, and some people don't, right? Look at that. Dave knows who you who, are. Like life, who they are. And like, they were on a bill with Life Sentence, and I'm trying to think who the other third act was. But listen, I mean, punk is, I, I'm going to offend somebody, but it's crap. But it's crap by nature. That's right. what it is. That's what it is. You know, yeah. and so why did why do people still remember who the Sex Pistols are, right? Yeah, uh, it's because they, were, they didn't represent the music, which was crap. They represented the movement... Which meant something. I'm not even sure yeah. what. You know, that and so when you, if you put, you felt if, it in your bones. If you put a band, if you put like a a, a a modern, like a '90s punk revival type band into a mix with these real guttery bands like that, I mean, it's not even. It's it, they're a whole different thing. You know, they may. There may be a. I'm sure there's a punk. There's always an underground movement of stuff, and I'm sure punk people are still around. Right, they're still having these punk concerts, and people are still showing up and getting drunk off their butt and jumping off the stage and beating the crap at each other, wearing leather and having stupid hair. But I mean, it effectively, it is a is gone. I mean, on this a national level. My next question, Aaron. Yeah. Where do you stand on Insane Clown Posse? Uh, where do I stand on them? Yeah. They weren't, they weren't very good wrestlers, but they were great hustlers. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I know a lot about them. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. because they wrestled. I think he did. That's why yeah. I asked you. And so they were they were the few acts. Listen, they were in WCW. They were in WWF. They were in ECW. They played all the big uh, shows. They host at the Juggalo uh, thing up. They've got up there. They always have wrestling at it, you know. So and, and with a lot of big acts that come to town, like big independent acts. Uh, uh, I remember. I think it was funny. They were originally. I think they were originally signed to Disney's label, and Disney was like, "What the hell is this? Get these guys out of here!" You know, they're they are perfect workers. They have mm. they have taken their uh, a unique look and sound, and they have drenched every drop of it out. They they found an audience. They connected with them like very few bands. Maybe Kiss 
There aren't very many bands that connect with their audience like the like the uh, Insane Clown Posse with Juggalos. Listen, I'm not putting these guys over, although I do like some of their stuff. I'm not gonna lie, uh, and, and I do like. I, I understand. I appreciate their love of wrestling and the fact what they do for it. I do it because as a wrestling fan. Am I going to buy one of their albums? No. But I, w- I think as rappers, I think they're okay. You know, th- mm-hmm. I think they've got a good sound uh, if you're into that sort of thing. But would, it, you, would you go see them if they came to, you know, Miss, Municipal Auditorium? Absolutely not. Because they mm-hmm. bring their fans, and their fans are out to lunch. The, the, mm-hmm. the Juggalos are, listen, g- God bless them, you know, whatever, Allah, whatever you're into. I don't want to hang out with them. You know, I've seen too many, I've seen behind-the-scenes footage of the, of the gathering of the Juggalos and stuff. And no, thank you. Not my bag. But I mean, all that said, I like the fact you know the government considered the Juggalos a cult. Really? You know, yeah, they were on the list. You know, uh, uh, and uh, and, a, and I wouldn't call them a cult, but I would call them a a a, 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 a uh, they were a massive group of like-minded people that get together and do their thing. And if that's a cult, then that's prob- that's what they are, man. So, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. I don't hate I don't hate the posse. They were I don't like them as wrestlers. I mean Violet J's okay. Uh is he okay. a pretty good worker? He's okay. I think which is the big fat one? Is that Jay? I get You're him I get him person. confused. The fat one is a better worker than the thin one. Yeah. Mm. How many people are in ICP? There's two. Two guys. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Duncan Styles, we're taking some bonus questions. I was going to say, uh, the, I thought we got more here. <laughs> okay. Uh, he uh, he says, uh, this is a two-part question. He says, the question for me, which piece of retro kit of Aaron's do you admire the most? Um, I'm going to have to go with, uh, oh boy. I mean, it's definitely one of the pinball machines. Um, probably the, the Who Done It is very impressive. Yeah. Uh, I like the WWF game. All the pinball machines, the Mr. or Mrs. Pac-Man, I would say just in aggregate, I'm I, I admire Aaron's pinball collection uh, the most. For some reason, I thought you'd say the uh, uh, Coleco Adam or the Vectrix. I thought oh, I thought you'd say that. <laughs> the Coleco Adam. I don't admire it other than its weight and its girth. Hey, <laughs> that's, that's when we when we it. got that to print, we yeah. popped. It was like a it was a big pop from us. That was a good it day. Was. Yeah, it was. It was a big pop. <laughs> All right, so Aaron, here's a question from Duncan. All right. Which piece of retro kit of boats do you admire the most? Well, right now it's that Commodore monitor I'm looking at. <laughs> well, it's broken. I got so hung out the drive. You don't want to admire it too much. Uh, let me think. What does Boat have? Boat does have a, well, he's got an outstanding pinball machine in his own right. In fact, I was going to say Mario Brothers, but I think I would go after, I like that pinball machine you got because it's, it's challenging and fun. That's yeah, a real good I do. game. I, I will say that the, the I struck gold with that pinball machine, and that's all thanks to you. I would have never gotten it uh, if if we hadn't gone down there that 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 dark and stormy night to pick it up and tie the tarp around it. Yeah, so, I love that it, was man. an adventure. Mitsuyama asks, uh, "This is a question for you, Aaron. How many pinball machines do you have, and are they a PITA to maintain?" For the second question, yes. I, I, and I don't maintain them very well, I might add. I've got... Let me see if I can... Go, and both what are, kind of maintenance work have you done on the pinball machines since you've moved them in? I do check the batteries in them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, but to be honest with you, since the pandemic started, I I've, I've, haven't been out there that much. Uh, and some of the work... I, I did start work on that flipper on the uh, Coney Island, but I have never completed it. So we've got Coney Island. We've got... Um, uh, 
Firepower 2, which is a pretty rare machine, uh, sequel to the very popular Firepower, and it's, and it's superior to Firepower in every way but one, which is, it doesn't have the... Uh, multi-ball. doesn't have the multi-ball. Um, the, uh, we've also got Mr. and Ms. Pac-Man, we've got WWF Royal Rumble, and we've got uh, Who Done It. Those are the pinball machines we, we currently own, yeah. So, uh, so yes. Uh, and, uh, okay, so we move on to L. Curtis Boyle, all hail. He says, what is the best video game artwork or package of all time? Hmm, you want to tackle that one? I'm going to ponder that for a minute. <sighs> it's tough. It's tough. Those old uh, Atari art, is it's so good. Yeah. It, and it takes yeah. games that look like crap. And you're like, I gotta play this. Like an asteroids right. or miss command. You're like, my God, this looks in- incredible. You know, those are right up there. Yeah, I think the name the name of the guy that did a lot of that art. Well, a lot of my favorite Atari art is his name. I think is Cliff Spawn. Uh, he did behind me. You can see the uh, the the art for Surround, which if you've ever played Surround before, it's an incredibly lame game. But the art that he did is amazing. Um, the same thing with, with his art for Breakout was great. So I'd say any of it, and I might be, I, I think his last name is Spawn, S-P-A-H-N, but I think his first name is Cliff. I'd go with that. That's a good, I mean, he, he that guy could go. I mean, his art yeah. was off the charts. When I think overall art package, I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough question. I would probably, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I would, it would probably be, and I can't pick one, but it would probably be the Atari art. The, uh, it'd probably be something like Asteroids or, or, def, or, or, uh, uh, you know, or one of the, one of the early games, Space Invaders, where they use that guy's art. It just, it's so, it tells a story that you don't get from the game. And that's, yeah. It's sell, yeah. That's and, not and, sold and it the shows, game. like, Atari, they had people on salary as artists. Yeah. It was a totally different scene than where you're just picking up freelancers, you know, to do to do game covers. Like they had people that were like their legit career was artist for Atari, and it showed. I mean, yeah. like, and of course, these were in the days where you needed to have those artists because the games were barely more than just you know blocks. Moving and I around give those I, that right there is the point that I give those extra points because if you're I, again, we could go back to like a psychosis where the art was awesome, but. You also had games like Shadow of the Beast, for example, is an awesome-looking game. So you're not trying to sell that with the art of the box. It doesn't hurt. But with the Atari, you had to sell that stuff with that art, and, and it, that's, what sold the, that's what sold the game. Olaf Hope asks, when will there be a live show from Aaron's Arcade? Well, I've got to get my internet. Have you ever thought about doing, you know, just uh, setting up some cameras? You're the camera king now. Me and Uncle setting Larry, up some cameras all around there. Me and Uncle Larry have live streams. So me and you have done shows from out yeah, there. Yeah, but that, that's that's not the same as having, you know, various camera angles set up from everywhere, seeing all the different games set up. We don't do that on these shows, Boat. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, the, the problem with the arcade is the acoustics is really bad because yeah. of the ceiling and, and the metal. So if we could get a good sound out there, I would love to shoot some shoot some video out there. Yeah, yeah. L. Curtis Boyle asks, have either of you read the DC Comics or Atari video game graphic novels, like Star Raiders or Warlords? Did you think that they were any good, or did you have a favorite? I have not. I have heard the audio recordings of some of the shows that they did to support the games, but I've not read any of the graphic novels that I remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I remember getting... Um, comic books with He-Man characters 
but uh, I don't remember getting any uh, comic books. I, I guess these were after the fact uh, were, were done as graphic novels. So, um, yeah, that I don't know. I mean, it seems like those all those would be cool concepts to forge into, you know, full-fledged graphic novels. Anytime but, you get a cool comic book that comes with the box, bro, that's cool. I like that. When was the first time, Aaron, you heard graphic novel instead of comic book? You know, the back in the day, people always said that The Watchmen and uh, The Dark Knight Returns were the graphic novels. They were the top graphic novels. Now, so that those instantly come to mind when I hear graphic novels, right? But, I mean, what is a graphic novel? It's just a collection of comic books and, like, a big digest, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. The first time I heard it, I probably was... Probably just a throwaway line in an old comic book where they were pushing them. You know, it, to me, they're just big comics. They're basically big, long comics. The graphic novel makes them sound more grandiose than they are. You know, although sometimes they're yeah, very it's, grandiose. It's funny. I've never really thought about asking you this before, but I've always wanted to know your opinion. What do you think about all those books like Archie and stuff like that? Did you ever get into them? I read Richie Rich Digest all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Because that's I'm, the same I'll, publisher as Archie, right? Yeah. And, and I, I, uh, Harvey. I used to read this all the time as I was a kid. I, we've talked this a long time ago, but eventually I just got to the point where I was like, this guy's a rich jerk. Screw it. And I was just, I was out. You know, <laughs> you can only do so much with Richie Rich before you just, it's repeating the same thing over and over. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it seems, Aaron, that we have run out of questions. So, and I know that we're getting ready for the big Team Speaker Regulars event that's going on. In less than an hour, things are going to kick off. What do we got on the docket for tonight on the old Team Speaker regular? Well, band? you know, we've went to a double channel action boat. We've got so we're going to accommodate two different games at once, and uh, I will be streaming probably both games, frankly. So I'd say we'll probably start off with a little Shell Shock Live, and we may have a Valheim uh, group that starts off right away. Uh, so, but it'll there'll definitely probably be two games. We'll probably use this uh, going forward, I'll, and I'm sure Dead by Daylight will get in there at some point. Uh, we're looking at some different stuff at Valheim. Boy, the boys are into it, Boat. So I, yeah. who am I to say no to them? It's not my, necessarily my bag, but I get in there. But I always like some shell shock, so we'll definitely get some of that in. All right. Well, guys, thank you, as always, for listening to Ask the Amigos. We will see you next month with a new round of questions. Until then, adios. adios.